0: journeying through the psalms before we read psalm 91 just a reminder as to what the psalms are about they are a collection of hymn books that were used in the worship of the people of israel and so a collection of hymns and so uh the book of psalms the 150 psalms are really 150 hymns so the book of psalms is a hymn book it's a collection of music but there are some themes we see woven throughout the different songs, the different uh, hymns. And I believe Dr. Kendall Easley really sums it up well when he highlights what maybe the major driving theme of the Psalms uh, is when he writes, God, the true and glorious King, is worthy of all praise and prayer, thanksgiving, and confidence, whatever the occasion in personal or community life. As I say every week, the Psalms remind us that when times are good, the Psalms remind us God deserves praise. When times are difficult, the psalms remind us, guess what? God deserves praise. When times are good, the psalms remind us we should trust God and have our confidence in him. When times are bad, we should trust God and find our confidence in him. And so we're reminded of that over and over again as we journey through these 150 chapters. Now John Piper really highlights why we resonate with the Psalms when he writes, The Psalms are songs, they are poems, they are written to awaken and express and shape the emotional life of God's people. Poetry and singing exist because God made us with emotions, not just thoughts. Our emotions are massively important, and that's why we love the Psalms, because we connect with the emotional life of the psalmist that are writing these words. And so that's a little bit of a background as to what the Psalms are about. And we made it to Psalm 91. I'm going to read the entire uh, chapter because it's just beautiful, 16 verses, and I'm just going to read through it, and then we're going to pray, and ask God's blessing. But this is one of my, and I say this every week, but this is one of my favorite psalms. It really is. And there'll be some familiar verses in here, some verses you've heard before or recognize, and just some powerful, powerful truth. You're going to be glad you came tonight, all right, because there's some good stuff in this psalm. So Psalm 91, verse 1, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night nor the arrows that flies concerning you, to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my name salvation. Powerful words, powerful Let's pray together and then we're going to jump right in. Father, we come to you tonight in Jesus' name and we ask you, Lord, that, to draw near tonight by your Spirit that the eyes of our hearts might be opened, that we would see the truth of Scripture, that we would understand the truth of Scripture by the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit, and, and Lord, that we would be moved to respond to the truths of Scripture by the inspiring work of the Holy Spirit, is. we are stirred up, Lord, to, to respond to what you're showing us in the Bible tonight. And so, Lord, have your way, move in our lives, encourage us, challenge us, uh, help us tonight, comfort us, uh, use your word in our lives in a mighty way so that we can live more fully for your glory. And we ask and pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. I've titled uh, this Uh, sermon tonight, trusting the Lord in a dangerous world. And you do know that we live in a dangerous world. I read an article uh, last week in Fox News about a Colorado man named Dylan McWilliams. And the article uh, was basically about um, his encounter with nature. The Bible says a Colorado man achieved a distinction last week that few people would probably want to match. When Dylan McWilliams was bitten by a shark Thursday in Hawaii, it meant he had been bitten by a shark, a bear, and a rattlesnake all in less than four years. So our our buddy Dylan uh, has not had uh, uh, a good uh, run-in with nature. A shark, a bear, and a rattlesnake. When he was interviewed by the Honolulu Star Advisor... He said, I don't know. I'm either really lucky or really unlucky. What do you think? Is Dylan unlucky or lucky? All right. Some food for thought. The 20-year-old from Grand Junction, only 20 years old, by the way, uh, uh, says he spends a lot of time outdoors. Uh, The Colorado man bitten by a shark in Hawaii, previously attacked by a bear, rattlesnake in Thursday's attack. He's about 50 yards from the beach when he was bit by uh, the shark. Uh, last July, he received nine staples in his scalp after a nearly 300-pound bear invaded his Colorado campsite. As for the rattlesnake, that encounter occurred about three and a half years ago in Utah, uh, McWilliams told the star advisor. And so he, the article ends with him saying, My parents are grateful I'm still alive. <laughs> uh, nature can be dangerous. Life can be dangerous. And so I was reading Psalm 91. It, it made me think of The Wizard of Oz when they're on the yellow brick road and they're going, lions and tigers and bears, oh my, you know, there's danger everywhere that you go. That's kind of the feel you get in Psalm 91 as the psalmist kind of outlines and highlights different dangers that await God's uh, people. In fact, this psalm is about danger. Let me just walk you through very quickly some of the dangers he lists for, uh, for us who live in this world. Uh, first of all, verse 3, he mentions a snare, the snare of the fowler. A snare is a trap, right? Uh, a snare is meant to entrap you. And And our world, our ungodly world, has some snares to try to trap us. Satan himself loves to trap us and ensnare us and destroy our lives. So he, he mentions there the snare. He mentions verse 3, uh, the deadly pestilence. That would be a disease. It would be a sickness that uh, would be deadly. It would take someone's Life In verse 5, he mentions the word terror, the terror of the night. In verse 5, he mentions the arrow that flies by day, the, the, the implements of the enemy who would want to destroy uh, uh, people's lives. Verse 6, he mentions destruction. It says there in verse 6, the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noon day. In verse 8, he mentions the wicked. The wicked were after him, And he mentions the wicked. Verse 10, he mentions those who are evil. In verse 10, he also mentions a plague, a, a, a plague that would cause somebody to be harmed. Verse 12, he mentions striking your foot, kind of the idea of stumbling, tripping, falling, stubbing your toe. And it's kind of a metaphor for stumbling in this life into danger and harm. Verse 13, he mentions a lion. Verse 13, he mentions an adder. He also mentions another name for a snake, a serpent. And then in verse 15, he mentions trouble. So all the way through this psalm, it's like he's saying, danger, 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 danger. We live in a dangerous world. And so this psalm is definitely about danger. You got that? Now, also, this psalm is about protection from danger. That's the point of the psalm, protection from danger. So let's just kind of walk through it very quickly. Verse 1, he mentions shelter, shelter from the storm. He also mentions the shadow, God's shadow over us. Verse 2 and verse 9, he mentions a refuge, a place to, to run and hide from danger. Verse 2, he mentions a fortress, a place of defense from enemies. Verse 4, he mentions pinions, another uh, word for wings. Uh, it could be translated feathers, uh, but it speaks of a, 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 a mama bird, bringing her young under her feathers, under her pinions. And then it mentions wings also in verse 4. Verse 4 mentions a shield. And the word used for shield here is the word for the, the long, tall shields that would really uh, be large enough that a, a soldier could get behind the shield when there is an onslaught coming. But then he uses the word buckler, which is the word for small round shield that they would use in kind of hand-to-hand combat. And so he's speaking of big shields and small round shields, shields and bucklers, again, meant to defend you from attack. He mentions... Uh, Uh, The Lord being a dwelling place, verse 9, a place to dwell away from the chaos of this world. Verse 11, he uses the word guard to be guarded against danger. Uh, Verse 14, he uses the word deliver to be delivered from danger. Verse 14, he uses the word protect to be protected from danger. And verse 15, he uses the word rescue to be rescued from danger. And so all throughout this psalm, we see danger, danger, danger. And also we see throughout the psalm, Protection, protection, protection. Do you see that? You see kind of the the theme of this psalm. So this psalm can be organized under three different headings. All right? That's the best way to outline this psalm. And we can see the change in in the different uh, ways pronouns are used. So, for example, the first part of this psalm is a personal testimony of trust. Look what he says there in verse 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. So he's talking here about his own trust in the Lord, his own experience of God helping him. And then the second part of this psalm is a call for others to trust because in verse, 13, verse 3 through verse 13, he starts to talk to others, calling others to trust in God the way he trusted in God. And then the final part of the psalm, starting in... Verse 14 is God himself speaking. Uh, Look what it says there in verse 14. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him. That's God himself speaking. So the first part of the psalm, a personal testimony of trusting God. Second part of the psalm, calling others to trust God like he is. The third part of the psalm, God himself speaking, saying, trust me. All right, that's how this psalm is outlined. So let's just walk through those three headings together and see what this psalm has to say to us personally. First of all, there's a personal testimony of trust. We see here that the psalmist had a personal relationship with God, and that meant everything to him as he walked through this world of danger. And we see two things about the psalmist here. And and We don't know who the psalmist is. There's a lot of speculation, but the Bible doesn't tell us, so we're just going to say the psalmist The psalmist found strength in God's names. First of all, he found strength in God's names. Look in verse 1. In uh, two verses, he uses four names of God. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, El Elyon, that's the word there, will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. That would be Shaddai, El Shaddai. I will say to the Lord, or Yahweh, my refuge and my fortress, my God, Elohim, in whom I trust. So, In two verses, he uses four names for God, and you can sense that the psalmist here finds strength and perspective in the names of God. For example, in the name Most High, the psalmist recognized God's supremacy. That's what it means that God is Most High. If we call God, God Most High, El Elyon, it means that there is none higher than him, right? He's the highest. No one's higher him. It speaks of God's supremacy, God's sovereignty, the fact that God is in control, the fact that God is over uh, everything in the universe because he is the creator of the universe. And so in the name Most High, the psalmist recognizes God's supremacy. Uh, yes, life is dangerous, but I have a personal relationship with the Most High. That puts things in perspective quickly, doesn't it? He, my God is, is bigger than... Then all of the dangers that I face. I heard one preacher say this. Instead of telling God how big our troubles are, maybe we need to spend some time telling our troubles how big our God is. Amen? Most High, El Elion, But there's another name here. In the name Almighty, El Shaddai, the psalmist recognized God's power. God's power. He is Almighty. It's interesting, over in Exodus chapter 6, verse 3, the Lord is saying to Moses, Before I revealed my name to you, at the burning bush, that was the first time I revealed my name to to, to anyone, he says, I made myself known to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jeff. he said, I made myself known to them as almighty. And the fact that I was almighty, all-powerful, sustained them as I... Uh, worked in and through them. And so in the name Almighty, the psalmist recognized God's power. He has all might. Uh, Theologians call this the omnipotence of God. He has all power at his disposal. And it's not like God is clamoring for power or gaining power. He is power. It's just who he is. It's inherent in his nature and his attributes. And so we see here that he is Almighty. And he says, hey, life's dangerous, but I know the Almighty. There's nothing more powerful than him. Third, in the name Lord, and notice there's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, the psalmist recognized that God is a covenant God. Uh, Now, whenever you see capital L and then lowercase o-r-d, that's a translation of uh, the Hebrew word Adonai, which is a, a basic word for Lord. All right, master, boss, ruler. But whenever you see capital L and then capital O and then capital R and capital D, all caps, Lord, that is a translation of the divine name of God, sometimes pronounced Yahweh, even though we don't really know exactly how to pronounce it because in the original Hebrew we have the consonants but not the vowels. So Yahweh is kind of our best guess at how to pronounce it. But this is the name that the Lord gave to Moses at the burning bush when he says, tell them when you go to Egypt, tell them I am that I am has sent you. That name derives from that statement, the great I am. That's what the word uh, Yahweh means. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, a, a name of being God is. That's, he just is. And he's everything that we need. And he mentions here in the name Lord, uh, I recognize he's a covenant God. In other words, uh, the psalmist here is not talking about some generic God. He's talking about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses, a specific God, the one true God, the God of Israel, the God who had revealed himself at the burning bush, the God who had entered into covenant with Abraham's descendants, the God who was the real God. And so he's saying here, yes, life is dangerous, but I, I know the Lord. I have a covenant relationship with him, and that matters when you face danger. And then fourth, in the name, my God, the psalmist recognized that God was on his side. He uses the term here, um, Elohim, God, Just the, that's kind of the generic term used for God. It's used often of the one true God, used of other gods as well, false gods. But he, notice what he says here. It's interesting. He says, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. My God in whom I trust. In other words, he mentions here, I have a, I have a relationship with this God. He's on my side. He's my God. Yes, this world is dangerous. But, but let me tell you something about my God. He's mine. He's big. He's powerful. He's on my side. I know him in a personal way. He's my God. It's one thing to talk about God in a generic way, and a lot of people do in our society. They mention, you know, the man upstairs, or they'll use the, the, the term God, and, and they're using some kind of broad generic sense. And a lot of people talk about God that don't know God. He's saying God is my God. So the psalmist found strength in God's name. And by the way, just as an interesting little exercise, when you're reading through the Bible, whenever you find a name of God, maybe highlight it or underline it, and there are all sorts of, of names and titles for the Lord in the pages of Scripture, take that name and begin to incorporate it into your prayer life. So, so it's one thing to say, uh, Lord, I'm, I, I come to you today... It's so good to know you, Lord. Lord, I'm grateful for your work and activity in my life. Lord, I want to follow you today. I want to be guided by you today. Lord, would you help me here? Would you help me there? And, and to call him Lord, that that, that that's one thing. And, and it's okay to call him Lord, um, but it's easy to use the same title or name of God, and it becomes meaningless repetition. You're not really thinking about what the term actually means. You're just saying it over and over again, right? And by the way, Jesus... Uh, warned us against vain repetition in the the Sermon on the Mount when he taught us how to pray. He said, don't use meaningless repetition like the Gentiles do where you're saying something to God, but you're not really thinking about what you're saying. All right? So how can we get out of that rut if we find ourselves saying, Lord, 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 or Father, 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 Father. It's okay to call God Lord. We should. It's okay to call God Father. We should. Jesus taught us to pray, our Father. But you can you can really enhance your prayer life if you incorporate these other names. What if tomorrow morning you got to pray and you said, El Elyon, God Most High. I'm glad I know you today. I'm glad that no matter what I face today, you are Most High. You are Almighty God. Just like that, your prayer life has been enhanced and becomes more vibrant and more exciting and your your mind is engaged in what you're saying to the Lord. So just find some, some of these titles and names of God and use them in your own prayer life. And it really help you as you pray the words of Scripture back to God. So the, the psalmist found strength in God's name. Secondly, the psalmist found shelter through nearness to God. Now look what he says in verse 1. I think this is one of the most beautiful verses in the Bible. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, he who goes to God for help and protection, will abide, will remain, will stay in the shadow of the Almighty. Almighty. Charles Spurgeon mentions this phrase, the shadow of the Almighty. says, this is an expression which implies great nearness. We must, watch this, walk very close to a companion if we would have his shadow fall on us. So if we're out in the sun tomorrow you and I are walking beside each other, if my shadow is going to fall on you, you've got to be close to me, right? And that's the point here. When you understand that life is dangerous and you run to God, Knowing he's the one that protects, he's the one that helps. When you draw close to him, you are under his shadow. But to be under his shadow, under his protection, you got to stay close to him, right? Got to stay close to him. And so we see here the personal testimony of trust. The psalmist found strength in God's names and shelter through nearness to God. He believed that God would protect him from all of the dangers that life brought his direction, which leads to the second heading. A call for others to trust. A call for others to trust. Now we see several things here about this psalmist calling others to trust God. He, he highlights three aspects of God's, uh, God's protection. First of all, we see God's power to deliver. Look in verse 3. He will deliver you from the... Now he said, I trust God. He's my God. Now let me tell you why you should trust God too. He says, He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler, from the deadly pestilence. Look in verse 7. A thousand may fall at your side, a ten thousand at your right hand in battle. But it will never, it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the most high. There it is again, El Elion, the Most High, who is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tents. So he's speaking of God's power. Even in a, in a battle where others are, are being defeated by the foe, he's saying God will protect you. He will keep you in his care. He has power to deliver you from evil. And, and just remember that God has the power absolutely to deliver you from every danger. Remember that. There's not, listen to me. There's nothing too difficult for God. There's nothing impossible with God. Why? He's all-powerful, right? So we see God's power to deliver. Secondly, we see God's desire to deliver. Look in verse 4. I mean, you know, God could be all-powerful and not care, right? Or He could care a lot and not be all-powerful. Either way, we'd be in trouble, wouldn't we? But aren't you glad that our God is all-powerful and He cares, right? He's good. So look what it says in verse 4. He will cover you with his pinions, feathers, another term for wings. Under his wings you will find refuge, his faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noon day. So notice here his desire to deliver. It mentions him as a, a shield and a buckler. Those are implements of warfare to protect you from the enemy. But notice here the tenderness of God. He, he Like, a, like a, a mother bird, he wants to gather you under his wings. He wants you to draw near a place of, of, of safety, of, of, of warmth, of relationship. We see God's desire to deliver. The Old Testament scholar Derek Kidner writes, As for God's care, it combines the warm protectiveness of a parent bird with the hard, unyielding strength of armor. I love that. So God is strong like armor, but he's tender like a mother bird. He cares about us, and you know this springtime of the year it seems like there are bird nests everywhere around my house. They try to get in my gutter, and 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 you constantly see these mothers going back and forth, providing for the the little baby birds and protecting them and watching over them. Um, other day, my son and I were uh, on the golf course and. Uh, he hit a ball over uh, to some water, and it's just, it just—it just—it just barely rolled into the water, and so you could re- get the ball back, right? We don't want to—we don't want to lose a ball when it's right there. The only problem is there's a big goose sitting right beside uh, where the ball went in. It was sitting on a nest, right? And so I said, "There's no problem, Cal. It's just a goose." And so I got a, a club, a long club, and 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 I and I—I I, I mean, he was right by where the and I was trying to you know get the ball and, and every time i get close the goose will go <laughs> and uh i said this thing's gonna attack me and but i did get the ball and the goose didn't get too scared and and, and we made it but uh but th- that goose was protecting right it was a, a mama bird uh protecting by the way i don't know if you saw uh yesterday there was a guy on a golf course i think it was up up, where, up north somewhere and a goose attacked him did y'all see this i mean a goose just attacked him it was it was really funny he's he's okay um, but I mean, knocked him over, and his clubs went flying. Anyway, gotta watch out for geese. So, why they protect their young, right? That's what they do. To deliver, he's 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 powerful and strong like a shield and a buckler, but he's tender like a mama bird. See that? And that's how God cares for you. He wants to draw you close. He wants to gather you close and protect you. And then we see not only God's power to deliver and God's desire to deliver, but we see God's means to deliver. And this is where it gets really interesting. Look what it says in verse 11. How's he deliver? How's he help us out in this life? For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion, the adder, the young lion, the serpent. You will trample underfoot. So here's what he's saying. One of the ways, one of the primary ways, because he highlights it here, That God protects us, and God delivers us, and God rescues us is through the agency of angels. Now, you and I need to remind each other that the supernatural realm is real. We don't see it with physical eyes, but there are angels and demons, fallen angels, And they're just as real as the people sitting in this room beside you, just as real. But we don't think about the spiritual realm much because, you know, it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. But what you now need to understand is that God uses His angels uh, in in remarkable ways to provide protection for His people. That is His that's His means to deliver. Uh, There's a story I love over in Second Kings chapter six. The Syrians are uh, coming to attack Israel, and uh, they they keep coming to attack Israel, and it's like Israel knows their every move. And the king of Syria says, what's going on here? Every time I have a strategy, a plan, it's like Israel knows what to do, and they outsmart me. And some of his advisors say, well, Israel has this prophet named Elisha, and God tells him what you're going to do, and he tells the king, and that's how they outmaneuver you every time. So the king of Syria said, okay, we'll go kill Elisha. And so he gets his entire army together and goes to Dothan where Elisha and his servant lived. And he brings his whole army to kill a preacher. I always thought that was funny. And, and they show up, this big army, and the servant sees the army of Syria coming. And he's, he's wringing his hands. He's going, should we run? I mean, what are we doing, Elisha? And Elisha says, just, just, just calm down. Don't be scared. And the, the servant's going, why aren't you scared, Elisha? And Elisha prays an interesting prayer. He says, Lord, would you open his eyes? And, and he wants God to open his eyes so he can see the supernatural realities at that time. So he opens the eyes of the servant to see the spiritual realm. And what he sees are warriors and chariots of fire all around the valley. Mighty, angelic warriors ready for battle. And the servant says, oh, okay. Now I know why you're not scared, right? And then uh, God blinds all the Syrian warriors, and uh, he takes them to the king of Israel, and he says, here they are, you could destroy them, but don't destroy them, let's feed them and show them kindness. And, and Syria kind of marches, the army kind of marches back with their tail between their legs. Why? God uses angels to protect his people. That's a clear example in uh, the Bible. He we said, well, that's, you know, that's that's good. That's Elisha. That's a great prophet. I mean, th- this stuff really happen in, in our lives? Well, first of all, it does. Second of all, it's not always something we're aware of. And I think one of the the highlights of heaven will be when we get there and we look back at all the times we were in danger. And God used angels, ministering spirits, it says in Hebrews. He used angels to keep us from harm. I, I'm, I'm convinced there are many times angels have been involved in my life and I had no clue. The illustration I like to use, you've maybe heard me use this before. Uh, years ago, one of my boys, one of those, one of those little electric, uh, you know, riding toys, and uh, and I was walking along beside him in our driveway, and he had, he had it, you know. Throttle down, and he was you know driving along this little electric toy. He was headed right for the bumper of my truck. He had no clue. He's smiling, laughing, driving. I knew what was happening. I knew that if he kept going straight, he'd hit the 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 truck. So all I did is as his dad, I walked along. I just kind of nudged it with my leg and just kind of turned a little bit. And he went right past my truck. He had no clue that he was heading for harm. And just from one little course adjustment, I kept him from harm. Right? I wonder how many times. God's used angels to give us a little course correction, to, to to help us, to protect us, to deliver us, to rescue us. I don't know, but I believe when we get to heaven, we're going to celebrate at how God, in his grace and power, used his angels to work in our lives to protect us from danger. I really believe that. And, and um, you know, there's idea of a, a guardian angel. Um, I believe that that there's probably more than one angel involved in, in, in God's activity in our lives. Because um, no, notice what it says there in Psalm uh, 91. It says, He will command his angels concerning you. All, all of his angels. doesn't seem to just not one little special guardian angel, but he'll use all the angels at his disposal to do what he wants to do on behalf of his people. Now, uh, an example of this kind of protection from angels is found in missions all the time. In fact, I read a quote today that said, the closer you get to the frontier of lostness, the more you see supernatural things happen. And uh, there's a story about a missionary named John G. Patton. He was a missionary in the late 1800s to the new Hebrides Islands, uh, South Pacific, now called uh, Vanuatu, Vanuatu, something like that, is the name of the islands now. Uh, and uh, he went to these islands in the 1800s, and there were some fierce uh, native uh, people that lived on these islands that did not want him there. They did not want Christianity, and they were hostile. And one night, these, these these warriors, hostile warriors, surrounded his house. It's just he and his wife in the house. And they are angry, and they want to kill him. So he and his wife, John G. Patton and his wife, begin just to pray. And they pray all night long. And they get up, and they go outside in the morning, and the, the warriors are just gone. They're just gone. And he's like, well, what happened? I mean, they were here ready to kill us. They had their their weapons, and and now now they're gone. They just just left. Well, months later, one of the leaders of those uh, tribal warriors came to Jesus. He came to faith in Christ. And so John Patton began to talk with him. He said, hey, remember that night? Remember that night you were here, and you wanted to kill me? And there's all these warriors surrounding my house, and they were worked up into a frenzy. What happened? And the man said, Well, we would not dare attack your house with all of those warriors standing around it. He said, What warriors? He said, Big, strong warriors with their swords drawn. And John G. Patton said, It was just me and my wife there. And he said, No. Your house was surrounded by warriors. What happened? God used His angels to protect this missionary and his wife from hostility. And so that's the the means that God uses to deliver, and we could probably go on and on. Uh, there are so many stories about out there of, of 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 unusual deliverances, and people look back and they think that was who was that person or what happened there?" Or, You know, and and there's some mysterious things happening around us all the time. And and I believe with all of my heart, based upon the word of God, that God uses angels to protect us. Amen? It's just in the Bible. So, we see here, uh, as this psalm highlights danger, that there's a personal testimony of trust. And there's a call for others to trust. But third and last, we see God's trustworthy promises. And this is where it gets interesting, because here's what I want you to understand. All right? that's going to rock your world. You Ready? These promises of deliverance are conditional. They're not unconditional. They're conditional. Now, what are the conditions for us to trust in God's protection? Well, he tells us there as God speaks at the end of this psalm in verses 14 through 16. And there, There are two aspects of what God says. First of all, we see God's promises. Look what it says there, deliverance, verse 14 and 15. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. Uh, verse 15, I will rescue him. And so it speaks here of God's promise to deliver, to rescue us from danger, his people. Protection, verse 14, he says, I will deliver him. I will protect him. I'll protect him from harm that danger brings. 15, he says, I will honor him. I will I will lift him up and bless him and show my favor to him. I'll I'll honor him. And then he says, I'll. I'll give him extended life. Look what it says in verse 16. With long life I will satisfy him. Notice these promises. I'll deliver, I'll protect, I'll honor, I'll give extended life. Now, are these promises for everyone? The answer is no, they're not. God's wonderful promises of protection are for those who do three things, or have three things true of, of their life. Number one, God's wonderful promises of protection are, are for those who know him personally. Look what it says back in verse one. Remember how the psalmist began? He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the, of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. That's faith. So the psalmist had a personal relationship with God. He trusted in God. He, he abided in relationship with God. He knew Him personally. And look what he says in verse 14. Because He holds fast to me in love, I will deliver Him. I will protect Him because He knows my name. Listen to me. These protections, these promises are for people that know Him. They're not for everybody. They're for people that know Him personally. That's important. We might say it like this. These promises are for people that are born again. People that are saved. People that know Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior. Because Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The only way you can know God is through Jesus, right? And so this promise, first of all, is for Christ's followers. Those that do not know Christ cannot depend upon God's protection. Or count on God's protection. Or expect God's protection. It's for people that know His name. It's conditional. But don't stop there. These promises are not only for those that know him personally, these wonderful promises of protection are for those who hold fast. Look in for, verse 14. Because he holds fast to me in love. Let me tell you what's interesting about that phrase uh, hold fast. It's translated from Hebrew word that in the old King James, it's translated cleave. So you ought to think about Genesis 2.24, the first wedding ceremony between Adam and Eve. The Lord says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. First wedding, right? Cleave. That Hebrew word means to be glued together. It's the way it was used. To be glued, to be stuck together, to be close together, to cling to one another. So, not only are these wonderful promises of protection for those that are saved, it's for those that are saved and are clinging to Him. Remember, if you want God's shadow to fall over your life, you've got to be near Him, right? If you're far from God, don't expect His shadow to be over your life. You've got to be near Him. The way Jesus explained this in in John 15 is, abide in me, abide in me. So you and I, not only do we need to be saved to count on God's protection, but we need to cling. We need to walk with him every day. We need to stay close enough to him that his shadow falls over our lives. And notice what he says there. He holds fast to me in what? love it's a love relationship it's 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 a clinging to him it's a a a desire to remain close to him because you love him right that's what this psalm is all about uh, have you ever experienced a season in your life where you're a christian you know that you're saved but you're not walking with god closely you ever been there anybody ever been there is it just me we've all been there right the old saying goes if you feel far from god guess who moved Right? These promises are not just for Christians, not not just for those that know his name, but for Christians that cling, cleave, stay glued to him, walk with him, stay close to him every day. So let's just talk practically for a moment. How do you how do you stay close to God every day? How do you cling? How do you how do you stay glued to God? Right? Certainly it means you let him speak to you through his word, right? Certainly it means you speak to him through prayer. Uh, it means that you seek to obey him and, and live for his glory and ask for his help and trust him and walk with him and talk with him. It, it, it means relationship, right? Uh, it's a love relationship. You're, you're glued to him. And so that's what this word means. God's wonderful promises of protection are for those who know him personally and hold fast. Okay? Cling to him. Cleave to him. Stay glued to him. But third... God's wonderful promises of protection are for those who pray. So where are you getting that from, Wade? Well, look what it says in verse 15. When he calls to me, God says, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. So notice there, God says, I'll answer, I'll rescue, I'll help when he what? Calls to me. These promises are for those that are prayerful, that cry out to God when they need help. I believe one of the reasons that God allows hardship into our lives or, or a brush with danger or trial or tribulation is to get our attention so we'll start praying again. You ever found yourself just basically living prayerless and all of a sudden The wheels come off of life, and something bad happens, and next thing you know, you're on your knees, aren't you? Help! I need you! And and God will allow that, that pain, that hardship, to remind us we need to call out to Him. And He says here, if you know my name, if you cleave to me, if you cry out to me, if you pray, I will deliver. I will rescue. You'll be under my shadow, under my Wings, And so if we want God's promises of protection, we want to claim these promises, we need to be saved, we need to walk with him, and we need to pray. That's how we claim these trustworthy promises of Psalm 91. So let me say it like this. If you know Jesus... If you're walking with Jesus, if you're talking to the Lord in prayer, asking Him for His help and expressing your need for Him every day, nothing can touch your life unless God allows it. That's powerful, isn't it? Nothing can touch your life unless God allows it. It's the, the protection He's talking about here in this psalm. But, what happens when you're saved, and you're walking with God, and you're praying, and harm comes? What's that all about? Right? My wife and I have been discussing this week um, the five missionaries in the middle part of the 1900s that went to Ecuador and they were martyred trying to reach a tribe in the jungles of Ecuador, the the Alca people. Um, Nate Saint, Jim Elliott, it's a really well-known story. Um, One of the reasons it's so well-known is because after these five men uh, were martyred, um, the wives went back to this tribe and shared the gospel with them and saw the tribe become Christian. It's an amazing story. Elizabeth Elliott's a renowned author. She wrote many books since then. But she wrote a book. Listen to this. She wrote a book about Jim Elliot and about his martyrdom and about his story. You know, what she titled the book In the Shadow of the Almighty. Jim Elliot was in the shadow of the Almighty, and he died at the end of a spear. What's that all about? He was a godly man. He loved the Lord, walked close to him. I've I've got a a thick book on my bookshelf of his journals. Just a godly man. Man of prayer, intense preparation. They worked hard to, to build Uh, rapport with these these tribal peoples they would come over in these small plains and lower down in a basket just gifts to try to build rapport and they came down and landed on this little beach in the river and and tried to engage and have contact with them and talk to a couple of the tribesmen but then the next day the the tribesmen turned on them and killed all five of these missionaries so how do you explain that one preacher man He just talked about God's wonderful promises of protection. And here was a man living under the shadow of the Almighty who died as a martyr. How do you explain that one? First of all, I'm not God. I can't really explain anything. But I can tell you this. If God allowed it, he allowed it for a purpose. And because of those five men dying... That tribe, it was a catalyst for that tribe being reached with the gospel. And I've heard missiologists talk about how many hundreds, perhaps even thousands of people were moved by that story and surrendered to missions and went to the mission field themselves. Even today, people are still moved by the story of Jim Elliot and are still going to the mission field because of that story. Was Jim Elliot under the shadow of the Almighty? Yes! Was God his protector? Yes! Did God allow martyrdom? Yes! For his sovereign purpose. And it was good. Now we can't all understand all of that this side of heaven, right? But one day when we get to heaven, we'll see those moments when God in his sovereignty allowed danger into our lives, allowed us to hurt, allowed us to go through struggles, and he had a good purpose in it. And that's what we learn from this story. Here's what John Piper writes about Elizabeth Elliot writing this book. She called her book Shadow of the Almighty because she was was utterly convinced that the refuge of the people of God is not a refuge from suffering and death, but a refuge from final and ultimate defeat. Luke 9, 24. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it because, he says, the Lord is God Almighty. So here's what he's saying. Even if danger... Is allowed into your life and it harms you, maybe even kills you. Guess what? God wins the final victory. So if you're under the shadow of the Almighty, you can trust Him. Amen. Amen. You can trust Him. He'll protect you, and nothing can touch your life unless God allows it. Lottie Moon said, "I have a firm conviction." Little short missionary lady in China, single, eighteen hundreds, the middle of warring armies. And she said, I have a firm conviction that I'm immortal until my work on earth is done. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is a refuge, a dwelling place, a protector, a rescuer, a deliverer? Do you long to be close to him under the shadow of his wings?